It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, does Siakam make sense? Why the disconnect and a Strider update? It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting hard as part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Check us out on the Sirius XM app as well and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So there's been a lot of rumor and speculation and innuendo that the Atlanta Hawks have been linked with Pascal Siakam, the outstanding forward, power forward from the Toronto Raptors. And Siakam is a NBA champion. He's a two-time all-star. He's a two-time second-team all NBA player, right? I mean, he's, you know, on paper, he's a very good fit for what the Hawks want to do, right? He's a guy that if you look at, you know, his numbers, uh, what, 23 and a half points uh, per game, sorry, 24.2 points per game this past season, uh, eight rebounds, 7.8 rebounds, but, you know, figure 24 and eight uh, for a guy who is, you know, six foot nine, you know, would fit that power forward role that John Collins, you know, inhabited. So the problem is, is that does he make sense for the Atlanta Hawks? And here's the only reason that I would tell you that that he does not. And, and it's simply because of what the trend has been with the Atlanta Hawks and, and where they have been. You know, when they trade for guys like Usman Garuba and Ty Ty Washington, and Rudy Gay and guys like this, it's all been about the money. And when you look at what Siakam is, Siakam is going to play for, I believe it's $38 million this year. And then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Okay. So you find yourself right back in the scenario where you've got DeJounte Murray. In fact, you don't even get the extra year as you did with DeJounte Murray. Siakam goes immediately into, he's a unrestricted free agent come the end of the year and he's going to want a max money deal he's going to get every bit as much as what DeJounte Murray just got right they offered him the vet minimum extension well again if Siakam plays for you he's now eligible for that fifth year and you're looking at whatever 190 million dollars or whatever the the super max you know extension is capable of at least of certainly a team max deal. So do we look for any minute that the Atlanta Hawks, given what they're doing, when they're trying to save pennies on the dollar, trading for Usman Garuba and Rudy Gay and Patty Mills and those kinds of people, and trading John Collins away, were you saving yourself some money? Do we look at any scenario like that where that the Hawks are realistic trade partners with the Raptors and they're going to take on all that kind of salary. 
I don't I don't buy it. I, I I'm not buying it. And I'm not saying that I don't want Siakam because he's not a good player. He's not a good fit. He's not a good clubhouse guy. I'm not saying any of that stuff. What I'm telling you is, is that there's no reason to think that the Hawks are going to be in the Pascal Siakam business when it comes to giving him an an extended contract. And let's face it, you're not going to just necessarily give up fish heads and rice. If, if if, If a team was willing to just give up fish heads and rice, he'd already be somewhere else. So again, the Raptors don't want to just give him away for nothing when you have that kind of caliber player. When you got a 24 and 8 guy that's a second team all NBA player, you ain't giving him away for free. And he certainly is not signing for free with your team. So you better know that if you trade for Siakam that you're going to be able to sign him to a contract extension and know that it's going to be a max money deal at the end of the day. Because again, he's not going to play for just fish heads and rice. And he probably doesn't play for, you know, the the number that Murray, I mean, again, you would think that he would be a guy that if he gets on the open market, he can really cash in. And that's why I would have a fear of all of it. But what tells you right now that the Hawks are in the business of signing a guy that's going to be a $40 million a year player? Like what tells you that, that, that that's the direction that they're going. We're over here counting pennies. Every time we make a trade, literally every time we make a trade, the first thing that gets reported is, well, the Hawks save four and a half million dollars here. Well, the Hawks save $6 million here. Well, the Hawks save six and a half million dollars. Well, there's a trade, there's a, uh, uh, an expiring contract involved in penny. Every single trade we've made, including John Collins, has been about money. This has not been about improving the basketball roster. This has not been about improving our brand. This has not been about improving the the on-the-court product. Every move has been about, can we save some cash? Can we put some distance between ourselves and the luxury tax? And the Hawks don't have cap space to spend. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of just the luxury tax threshold. They don't have... $25 million under the cap to go out and sign a high caliber free agent or anything like that. They've got to wiggle their way around, you know, their roster and put themselves in the luxury tax. So with all due respect, okay. And I'm saying with all due respect, what makes you think that the Hawks are in the business of doing that? I've seen no indications. I've not seen anything that tells me that, Hey, we're, we're trading for Patty Mills and Usman Garuba and Ty Ty Washington so that we can open up some space to go sign ourselves a, 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 or trade for a Siakam and then, you know, sign him to a max contract extension. I, I don't see any of that happening. And, and again, I'm, it's not that I don't like Siakam or this, that, and the other, but it's a matter of I don't trust this organization. And, and I'm getting to the point where I don't trust this organization that they're worried about as much about what's first and foremost, the on-court basketball product, as I am the idea of, okay, we can save ourselves some money. We need to get under the luxury tax. And, and, and Landry Fields can spin to me all the narratives that he wants. He can, he can give me all the, the sunshine stories and rainbows and lollipops and all these different, you know, wonderful scenarios about what this roster is and what we can do and financial flexibility. 
But until I see the Hawks spend some money, and again, when you have a super max guy on your roster, it's hard to be under the luxury tax, okay? Miami doesn't have a super max guy on their roster. That's why they can Jimmy Jimmy Butler, believe it or not, is a $37 million a year player. Well, you know, he's 37 men. Yeah, Trey Young's 45, 46 million. And, and DeJounte now is a $30 million player. So it's hard to have a super max. That's why there's only about 12 of those guys running around in the league right now. That's why the Boston Celtics don't have Jalen Brown signed, sealed, and delivered and ready to go because he wants a super max deal. There aren't very many of those guys running around. And when you sign one of those guys who takes up a third of your cap, you better be able to, you know, build your roster through draft or low price free agent or whatever you got to do to make things happen. So again, it's not that I don't like Siakam. It's not that I don't think he's a good fit. I don't, I, I certainly think that he could play in Quinn Snyder's style and all this good kind of stuff. But what tells me right now that the Atlanta Hawks are in the business of Pascal Siakam? That's why a deal hasn't gotten done. Again, there's been all of these rumors, okay, about Siakam coming to Atlanta and this and the other, and that's one of the teams that makes sense for him. But there hasn't been a lot of bite behind all of it. And I think at the end of the day, whether you like this or not, it's the money aspect. <clears throat> Getting themselves back into a situation where you're going to get yourself full neck deep because you signed Siakam to a max deal. Now you're neck deep in the cap in the luxury tax. You're not just dipping your toe in that water. You're finding yourself neck deep in that those kinds of shallow waters. And all of a sudden now you're treading water and you're up to here on your chin. <clears throat> all right. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. As you know, FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. And as we're at the Major League Baseball All-Star break, FanDuel is giving you a chance to get 10 times your money in your first bet in bonus bets where you can get as much as $200. That's right. If you just bet 20 bucks, you'll land $200 in bonus bets, whether you win or whether you lose. It's $200 you can spend on betting everything from the money line to the over-unders to who you think is going to hit the first home run. And it's safe, secure, super easy to use. You know the deal with FanDuel. <clears throat> They're America's number one sports book. And there's no better place right now than to sign up with FanDuel as a new customer. So, Head to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. And sign up to get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's the great part about it. And anytime you win, you get paid instantly on that. So FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. FanDuel is the official partner of Major League Baseball. <clears throat> So why is there a disconnect between what the media thinks and what even Vegas thinks is a realistic <clears throat> expectation for the Atlanta Falcons? You know, I was looking at Touchdown Wire, an article from them, where they are, I guess, the USA Today Falcons website, right? That, you know, they got their dedicated website through USA Today, and they had them ranked 26th as far as roster rankings go. And we know we've seen pro football focus have them in, you know, the high 20s. We've seen ESPN have them ranked, you know, somewhere high 20s or 
low 30s or what have you. So many of these media outlets that are picking the Falcons to be, you know, one of the bottom third rosters in all of the NFL. Yet, when you look at the Vegas betting odds, Vegas has them as an eight and a half win total. Now, it was four and a half last year, despite what, you know, some people thought that, you know, it was two and a half and this, that, and the other. It was a four win total for the Atlanta Falcons last year. <coughs> Excuse me. Four and a half wins was the over under in Vegas last year. Now that number is eight and a half. And that's a big jump in one year. Now that doesn't belie the idea of, okay, if we think the Falcons can be a nine win team, that doesn't put them as a bottom third roster kind of team. That doesn't put them as a 26 to 30 kind of roster. If we're at a minimum going to be above 500 and we've talked about ceilings and floors and all these different kinds of things, it doesn't make sense. So why is there a disconnect with what the media thinks is realistic for the, for the Falcons and what Vegas even says is realistic for the Falcons? And I, and I think it just has to do with recent history. You know, we talked about the idea of that the Hawk, the uh, sorry, the Falcons are, you know, one of the few teams that has not won a playoff game over the last couple of uh, four seasons. And, and that's a trend that, you know, when you look at number of, of teams that have not been in the playoffs, they're on, on almost like a single hand type of list for all of that. So again, I, I think that the, there's, a lack of trust in what the media thinks because they look at the same old Falcons, right? I mean, I think that that is, is really the case where, okay, it's the Atlanta Falcons. We don't expect them to be good. They were good when Matt Ryan was there. They had good years with him, but they're not a realistic contender and all this good stuff. Yet Vegas is saying, hmm, okay, there's been enough movement on this roster that we have to set a realistic line and that number is eight and a half, which puts you with a winning record. I mean, again, you can't finish with eight and a half wins. So you're either going to finish with seven or nine or eight, you know? So again, I think that the floor is, you know, potentially 11 wins for this team, but certainly I don't think that the, that the, that the, or sorry, the ceiling, I should say is uh, 11 wins, but I don't think the floor is, you know, three wins, four wins. And I think a lot of people look at it like that as the idea of, well, the Falcons could be bottom feeders and stuff like that. But you haven't been paying attention to what Arthur Smith has built here over the last couple of years to think that way. And I think that people look at our floor as a lot lower than what Arthur Smith has been able to do with this roster. The fact that he's been able to win seven games with, you know, band-aids and, you know, bailing wire and twist ties and, you know, all this kind of thing, those plastic clips that hold your bread together, right? Chewing gum, you know, what have you. You know, the fact is that he has proven that he can win without star power. He can win with a roster that is not very good and find a way to, you know, even win seven games. And you say, well, seven games isn't, really impressive it's pretty impressive when you look at the talent on this roster it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty good when you look at how good the roster has been over the last couple of years 
And I think that's the thing that Vegas looks at is, okay, they've improved their roster and, and they are going to be a much better franchise. But again, when you're in the media, the natural inclination is to say, well, the Falcons aren't any good. Well, the Falcons aren't a very good franchise. Well, they're not very good. They're, they're not historically, they, they've, you know, they've only had a few times when they had back-to-back winning seasons and those were all under the Matt Ryan regime, right? That they have not been a historically good franchise. So I think the Falcons get punished just for their historical legacy, but that doesn't take into account what the Falcons could potentially be this year. And I certainly think that Arthur Smith has got them in the right direction. And with the personnel that they have, they can certainly be dynamic in certain areas of the football team. Now, again, that's not to say they don't have their flaws and their warts and all this good kind of stuff. And, you know, we'll probably see those, you know, good, bad, and otherwise come out over the course of this season. But certainly that when Vegas looks at it and and takes the emotion out of it, and they look at it from just a profitability standpoint or just a analytical standpoint, then you figure that, okay, they are, they are a much better football team year over year, even if the media doesn't buy into all of that. So it is interesting to see that all the media outlets have them at the bottom third of the NFL as far as roster talent goes, but yet Vegas is saying that they're an eight-and-a-half win team potentially that there is a disconnect between those two things. I'll take the over at the eight and a half. I'll take the over in what Arthur Smith has been able to do while all the doubters can take the under and think that the Falcons are not necessarily as good as what they have been. All right, as you listen in to uh, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, make sure you go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. We call them our everydayers, and we do thank you so much for being a part of the show. Let us know, you know, in the comment section that you're an everydayer to the program five days a week. So an update on Spencer Strider as he is at the all-star game and, you know, going to probably make his appearance and this, that, and the other. So Strider, we, you know, we talked about this before the beginning of the year. Strider now sits at 11 and two, leads the league in wins, and he leads the league in strikeouts. So when you look at, he's got two of the three, you know, triple crown, um, you know, honors as far as in, in baseball. Leads the league in wins, leads the league in strikeouts with 162, leads the league in strikeouts per nine, no real shock there. But we talked about this before the beginning of the year. Could he break John Smoltz's modern-day record, which is 276 strikeouts in 1996? Now, again, we're not counting 19th-century records because there are – guys that have more strikeouts than John Smoltz does, but that's again, 19th century. We're talking 20th century and forward. And the modern day record is 1996 to 276 strikeouts. So one interesting thing that I came across was the fact that, and I'll give, uh, this is from uh, Brady uh, Farkas uh, of of, uh, Fan Nation, talking about the idea that Strider is in a category with Max Scherzer, and this is from ESPN Stats and uh, Info. So Spencer Strider is the second player in the all-star era. So that is since 1933. Second player since 1933 to strike out 160 batters and allow 80 or fewer hits entering the all-star break. He joins Max Scherzer in 2017 when Scherzer went on to take home the NL Cy Young Award. 
So again, Strider and Scherzer are the only two guys in the all-star era, that's since 1933, to have 160 strikeouts and allow 80 or fewer hits at the all-star break. Now, we've talked about this before, just with the idea of Strider is more than just a strikeout pitcher, right? The, the strikeouts stand out big time when you're talking about what he does and what his DNA is, but he's a guy that doesn't allow himself to get into tons of trouble. He doesn't allow himself to get into giving up a whole bunch of hits or a whole bunch of walks or a whole bunch of home runs. You know, when he does get himself into trouble, that's when those things start to escalate. But by and large, he's a guy that doesn't give up a ton of hits. We talked about the idea that for a lot of the first part of the year, he was leading the league in fewest hits per nine innings. So he's not a guy that gets himself in a lot of trouble. But right now that his pacing puts him at. So he's got 166 strikeouts through 18 starts. So he's averaging 9.22 strikeouts per start. Okay. So he's got 14.6 strikeouts per nine innings and and all this good kind of stuff. But right now he averages 9.22 strikeouts per start. If he gets himself to 30 starts, which again, he's got 18 now, barring any injury, he'll certainly be at, you know, 30 starts for the year. He'll he'll finish the year with 277 strikeouts. So even if he just gets to 30 starts, okay? Now he's on pace for not quite 36 starts, but if he just gets to 30 starts at this pace, and there's no reason to think that he's going to slow down or his velocity is going to decrease or what have you, that there's no reason to think that he's not going to stay on the same kind of pace that he's been on, he'll get to 277 strikeouts in 30 starts. And if he gets 32 starts, I mean, he'll blow the number away. In fact, he'll be probably close to, you know, almost 300 strikeouts. And we've talked about all of these things on the podcast at the beginning of the year. Could Strider be that guy? Could he get, could he finish with the Braves record? Could he finish with 300 strikeouts? I mean, again, it's all, you know, in realistic territory now, now that we've got, you know, the faux midway point, again, the Braves have played 89 games at this point. So, but again, it's the midsummer classic, right? So again, we're halfway through the season and a few games beyond all of that, but Strider's on that pace to set all of those records. And again, you talk about Strider and just what an outstanding year that he has had. You know, I don't know if he's the the first guy you think of, you know, in winning the Cy Young and this, that, and the other. I know that certainly he's been an all-star and well-deserved and leading the league in wins and leading the league in strikeouts. Again, he's proven that, you know, even with the 3.44 ERA, that's not a, a, tr- a tremendously, you know, high number or whatever. You know, that's not Nolan Ryan, a guy who strike out 5,000 guys, and yet he would walk, you know, 3,000 guys and give up a whole bunch of hits and stuff like that. It's not like that. This guy is a very efficient pitcher. But again, Strider's in rarefied air. And there's no reason to think that he can't break the record, the modern-day record that's held by John Smoltz in 1996. Smoltz, he had the 276 strikeouts. There's no reason to think that if he stays healthy, and fingers crossed that he is healthy because, again, that's been one of the stalwarts of him is just the fact that he has been a healthy pitcher and he has been a guy who he can give the ball to every fifth day, and he's been out there, you know, working it, you know, where – Again, with all the injuries that the Braves have had on their pitching staff, 
he's been one of the three guys with Morton and Elder being the other two that you've been able to rely on all season long. So, again, it's all good news. I mean, again, the Braves had eight all-stars. I, I love the photo that was put out on Twitter, on social media, you know, and all that, where you see all eight Braves that are standing side by side. I mean, again, eight Braves at the all-star game. And that's well-deserved. Look, they're the best team in baseball, best team by far in the National League. They have the runaway MVP, you know. And, again, they may end up with the MVP and the Cy Young Award winner when all is said and done. We'll see. But Strider is certainly on that pace right now that he's in line to break Smoltz's modern-day record of 276 strikeouts, which Smoltz had in 1996. We'll see if it happens, but there's no reason to think that it won't at the end of the day. All right, we thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Be sure to go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you listen on. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the show. So we call them our everydayers. We thank you so much for being a part of our ever-growing community. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at jmch316 back with you tomorrow this has been hitting hard with john chuckery locked on sports atlanta hey prime members you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on amazon music download the amazon music app today 